Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Good morning. We are reading from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 1, and I believe it will be coming on the screen. In the third year of the reign of Jehoram, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoram, king of the Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off into the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Asphenus, chief of his God's officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after, they were to enter the king's service. And among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave Belshazzar. To Ananiah, Shadrach. Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God has caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should they see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king will have my head because of you. Then Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official has appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Nazareth. Please, test your servant for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servant in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they look healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them to his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. 
The king talked with them and found none equal to Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Isaiah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Brilliant, thank you, Jimmy. It's great. Um, you know, Andy Brownlee rang me this week. He said, Colin, I want to do something different on a Sunday morning. He said, you know, we normally do a webinar where there's just three or four people on the screen. He said, basically, I want to go to a meeting, a Zoom meeting. He says, and everybody can be on a screen. And then actually, when we have a prayer time, different people can pray. He said, what do you think? I said, well, why don't you have a go at it and just see if it works? And then we can all see if we'd like to do it. Well, somehow it looks like those settings have been put on us as well. So that's the reason that we are, or could be the reason that, in a sense, we've gone from a, a webinar to actually a meeting. And so those who are actually uh, logged into the Zoom are on the meeting call. And then, of course, there's other people that are watching through the Facebook link. But um, hey, we'll be able to say to Andy what it looks like as well. So, a few years ago, Mary and myself were invited to a ceremony. One of our church members uh, was actually going to become a UK citizen. And the uh, ceremony was going to be at the Manchester Town Hall. So, we said, yeah, we'd love to go with you. So, we went to this uh, ceremony. Really well done. I was very impressed, actually. All the people who spoke were from Manchester, the chief of police and et cetera, et cetera. And they're all very proud Mancunians or came across that way. It was so funny. At the end of it, you could have thought that the people were not becoming citizens of the UK, but actually citizens of Greater Manchester because they talk so much about how great this city is and welcome to the city. You know, last week I did some online practice questions to see what it was like for those people who are looking to become UK citizens. I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I don't know if I'll be accepted. I won't tell you what my score was. Integrating people into societies actually is a big thing all around the world as immigration, migration happens on an increasing scale. It's uh, top of agenda of a lot of policy makers. You know, it's not a recent challenge. In antiquity, superpowers had different approaches to this. The Assyrians, their approach was to defeat a nation and then send some of their people into the defeated nation and encourage them to intermarry and in a sense make that nation kind of a mixed race society. The, the Samaritans, we hear a lot about them in the Gospels. That's exactly what happened to them when they were overcome by the Assyrians. The Romans, they basically had a different policy. They would look at certain cities, Philippi was one of those, and say, okay, well, let's make little Romes in the Macedonian nation. And so basically they would uh, 
give loads of land to retiring army people and say, no, go on, develop it and actually become like Rome here, little Roman colonies. So all around the Roman Empire, there was these Roman colonies that were almost more Roman than Rome itself. The Babylonians, they, their policy was to take some of the leading people, the king, some of the royal palace, some of the nobles, some of the uh, uh, leaders of the nation. They would relocate them to Babylon. And uh, it says they would train these leading people in the language and the literature of Babylon. Sounds a little bit like the UK, apart from the forceful uh, repatriation. You know, basically what I've just described is an overview of what's happened in the chapter, Daniel chapter 1. It says in verse 3, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who have been brought to Babylon as captives. And then verse 4 goes on to say, Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchen and they were to train for three years and then they would enter the royal service. And as part of the process of simulating into the Babylon culture, they also gave them Babylonian names. As uh, was read, Daniel became Belshazzar, Hanani became Sadrach, Mishael became Meshach, and Isaiah became Abednego. You know, you could look at Daniel chapter 1 and see it in this way. You could see it how defeated prisoners of war succeeded in captivity. You could also see it how a superpower king used his strength and power to build an empire. The writer wants us to look behind the scenes, showing behind these visible, self-evident things there was a greater power at work. You see, we see behind the scenes of world powers, bosses, and personal success is the eternal one, Yahweh, God. Got to remember that in the beginning, the Bible says, was God. Behind the physical, behind the things that we see, we experience, we smell, we suffer, we are joyful about all the things that happen to us, behind all that, behind of all creation was the eternal one. You know, a great hymn sums it up like this. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. I love some of these old hymns. So I want this morning to see how the eternal God works in nation states, works in our occupation, and works in our own personal development. You know, I don't know if you're like me, do you think the world's going a little mad? You know, powerful nations are trying to get the upper hand. They're even trying to blame each other about who started pandemics. And they're also trying to outdo each other who can get the remedies for this current 
pandemic. You know, there's wars, there's rumors of wars that are banded about by volatile world leaders. You know, you, you wouldn't be blamed for being concerned or even worried about the possibility of a war or a nuclear war. One of the guys I go dog walking with is not a believer by any stretch of the imagination. You know, he keeps he's saying to me just recently, he says, Colin, I think the end of the world is coming. He keeps, keeps repeating it. And then just the other day, he told me, he says, you know, I Man City season ticket holder. And every time I go, when I used to be able to go to the grounds, there was a man there with a placard. And on the placard, it used to say, the end of the world is nigh." He said, you know what, I think he will get quite a following now if he was there saying that. There's something about what's happening in the world that's getting under the skin of lots of people. You know, it's important to understand that the end of the world is nigh, actually, that there will be an end. But there's a massive proviso, and that's what I want to bring in to start with, because in Daniel 1 verse 2 it says, the Lord gave him victory over the king Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylon. You know, behind Nebuchadnezzar's victory was the Lord. Behind the things that he took from the temple, from the people, was the Lord. This is challenging theology. You know, it's challenging to think such evil has been done and yet there's a God somehow behind this. And yet it's so important that we hold to the tension that this gives us. You see, behind Nebuchadnezzar, Actually, it was the Lord who gave him permission. Behind the things that were taken, it was the Lord. And behind the world rulers all around our world today, whether it's Russia or China or the USSR or AA or UK, Europe, India, Latin America, whatever it is, behind the rulers of this world is our God. It's so important that we who are believers actually believe in the ultimate king, the eternal one, the maker of heaven and earth, the one the Bible says, in the beginning. You know, you might say, Colin, it's easy for you to say that, but things are going really bad for some people. You know, it's important to look at Daniel chapter 1 and see, this chapter is all about people that it was going really, really bad for. Their homes had been destroyed. Their temple had been destroyed. Their city had been destroyed. And then they were forcibly marched a thousand miles into captivity. When we look at Daniel chapter 1, we can see it through the eyes of some very young guys who were starting a new life. But, you know, they were starting in the new life in the middle of turmoil and war and conflict. 
run by a massive superpower. You know, as believers in God, we must believe that God is in control. And that affects number a number of areas of life. It affects our inner self. It affects when we look at a television and what that makes us feel when we see certain things happening around the world and how superpowers are positioning themselves against each other. It actually makes us think how God has spoken to us. I've been looking through some personal prophecies just recently that people have given me over the last two or three years. And uh, just reading them again and, and actually thinking, God, you have spoken and this isn't happening and that has happened and that seems to be blocking. But God, you seem to have spoken so powerfully. I'm going to believe. And see, Daniel would have known about a prophecy that God had given to Jeremiah regarding exactly the position he was in. Jeremiah 29, 4 says, This is what the Lord of heaven armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Hey, that's me, Daniel. Build homes, plant a state, plant gardens, and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children, and find spouses for them so that they may have grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile pray to the lord for it is your wealth for if you look after their welfare he will determine your welfare you know hearing this prophecy with belief for daniel would ultimately control his life and uh, his destiny it would give him an expectation that things could work together for good you know not believing could have made them cynical angry disruptive, angry young men, keen to be kind of freedom fighters yeah, and uh, taking up the sword. Believing in God ultimately is ultimately control, even through the lens of free will. And again, big theological things. God intervention into society, into life, not allowing something to happen, allowing something else to happen. And yet, actually giving us free will. You know, both those big theological principles actually work together. Should affect the way we hear news and how we respond. It should encourage us to be able to pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a massive prayer. So if God's at work in superpowers, in national leaders, he's also actually at work in your occupation it's also at work in your line manager in your boss daniel 1 verse 8 says this daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king so asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods hard to know why daniel Felt that about the food. Probably it was food that was offered to idols in the Babylonian temples. Could have even been the meat that was prohibited in the Pentateuch for the Jewish people to eat. You know, Daniel was a very young man. 
if he wanted to make headway in his new career, yet he wanted to worship and obey God more. So read this, verse 9. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food of mine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. You know, it's interesting that at face value, it didn't look like the Lord was over the boss. The boss was more worried about his own head than looking after the servants of the living God. That is so true often of when we're in uh, work or in a career or faced with people who are uh, line managing us, etc. We can pray, God, give them faith, grace and favour for us. And on the outside, it may look like they, they like us, they say good things about us, and yet when push comes to shove, they're more worried about their own position in the hierarchy and their own occupation than they are in looking after you. We live with that day by day. I've talked to many of you that uh, talk about just the challenges it is to have people over you who actually you feel like don't often look after your interests and you pray about it. So important that we don't lose perspective. You know, God's will is being done. And even though his line manager, the one that uh, the king put over Daniel, was worried about his own career, his own place, and his own life, actually, because he thought he was going to lose it. You know, it would be easy for Daniel to kind of just blame shift and say, OK, I just have to do, I'll have to eat the meat, I'll have to drink the wine. But, you know, he had a greater belief. He, he believed that his God, the eternal one, was in what was happening. And so it gave Daniel confidence to have another go. You believe in having another go as a church. We're always encouraging people to do that. Well, he was going to have another go at actually trying to find out if he could work this uh, job, his training, so that actually it didn't define his principles of worshipping a living God. So in verse 11, it says, Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief to look after Daniel, Ananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And then he said to this guy, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. And Daniel said, at the end of 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make this your decision in light of what you see. And the attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them. You know, there's no conflict between making wise, proactive decisions and making things work and believing God is totally at work and will make it happen. So for Daniel, that confidence that God was there meant that he, let's find another way. So his boss said no, but actually the one below that, he actually said, Daniel said, hey, let's just have a test. And uh, if you, just a few days, and uh, if it doesn't work, if I look like you're emancipated, if I look like I, I, I'm not doing very well, 
then I'll go straight back to eating meat. But if I look like I'm doing well and even better than the others, then uh, can we carry on not eating uh, the meat that's offered and the wines offered, but the vegetables we want to eat? And, uh, you know, we don't need to be passive. Sometimes we can be fatalistic, we can be passive, we have a go, we try and change something, and then it kind of gets pushed back to us. Let's believe that God is involved in all that we're doing, not only in nation states, but actually in our bosses, in our places of work, in where in our schools, etc., etc. And uh, let's be like Daniel, without faith, let's have ask God, give us wisdom. How can we help those who are looking after us? And that's exactly what Daniel did. He basically created a path so that actually everybody was happy with the outcome. And then thirdly, God is at work in our development. It says in verse 17, God gave these young men an unusual aptitude for understanding in every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel a special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. Now, these four people were well-educated. They came from noble families, and they could have easily seen their advancement in the Babylonian capital as entirely due to their own abilities. You know, they were bright. They were good-looking, it says. They, they were, you know, they, they had everything going for them, apart from the fact that they were in a place that they didn't want to be. <laughs> and... Uh, being trained by someone probably they didn't want to be trained by. But they could easily have said, you know, it's our success. We're, we understand, you know, we're, we're bright people. But basically, they were totally aware that it was God who was giving them success. It was God who was advancing their development, giving them amazing ability to see, to interpret genes and to and, and learn it. You know, when we preach through Daniel, we're going to see that actually these young men came to massive prominent, massive prominence in the nation. They had great power, given great authority and influence. Also, it gave them great danger because they just would not compromise. So the very thing that gave them influence also put them in great danger. And the outcome to faith, placing their trust and faith in God is this, in verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was complete, the chief of staff brought all the young men to Nebuchadnezzar and the talk, king talked with them and no one impressed them as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle and Azariah. So they entered the royal service and whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters of the kingdom. Amazing, isn't it? So God was with them and they knew that. And they were constantly leaning in to the eternal one. You know, just to conclude, and it's not a just, because this is the biggest thing. God is at work also in the salvation of the world. Jesus, as he's giving up his life for the sins of the world, of our, for our salvation, lived in the same faith of God's involvement 
as Daniel lived. You see, in John 19.10, he's standing before Pilate, falsely accused. Basically, Pilate says, why don't you talk to me, Jesus? Pilate demanded, don't you realise that I have the power to release and crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it was given for you from above. You would have no power over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Can you see Jesus living in the same faith assurance that even though Pilate says, I can kill you, Jesus saying, no, you can't. Only if God allows it. And you see Jesus at that moment knew that God was going to allow it. Because on him, the sin of the world, our sin, our suffering, our pain, our shame, our rejection, our anxiety, our sickness, our depravity, our totally alien to God ways of thinking. He was going to put them all on himself. So... Yes, Pilate, you will kill me. God's will be done on earth, in my body, as it is in heaven. Your will be done, God. I'm going to become the saviour of the world, Jesus said. And then he died. It is finished. God at work in the salvation of the world. You know, the earth shook, the sun stopped, creation witnessed. God at work, the ultimate work in society, in humanity, saving the world. Your sins and my sins. Hey, may God bless you. May God keep you. May this God make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. God bless you all.